John chapter 1, I want you to look there in verse 38. We'll deal with several verses in this portion of Scripture. But Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? I would ask you that this morning. What are you seeking? Why are you here? What a question the Lord asked those following Him. Why are you here? It's an important question. In fact, one of the most important questions you'll ever answer in life. They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak, John the Baptist speak, we believe that John the Apostle who's writing here, he never mentions himself, he and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I've entitled the message, Seek and Find, Come and See, Go and Tell. Our gracious Heavenly Father, by the Spirit of God, we ask you to illumine our hearts and minds. In every group that's gathered, Lord, there are those who you are preparing to bring to yourself, those whose hearts are being prepared to receive the gospel, and those who are standing between two opinions. And I pray that you would address all of us today. Would you comfort the hearts of the saints of God and encourage us and convict us to do the work that you've left us to do, which is to go and tell. There are those who are halting between two opinions. They've heard the gospel and they know it well. They are seekers. They have come today, and I pray that you would help them to come and see. Those who are seeking, I pray that they would find the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask the Holy Spirit to do His work in our midst. In Jesus' precious name. John is giving us the events of the life of our Lord on consecutive days here in verse 35 when we begin our portion of scripture that we're dealing with is the third day in these events in a third group of people. On the first two days, an investigative posse, if you will, come from the chief priest in Jerusalem with their questions. They hear John's message and ask who he is and he clearly tells them, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Make ready for the coming of Christ, the sent one, the Messiah. He's the sacrificial lamb. And God will, by him, take away the sins of the world. The third day brings the smallest group. Never judge the importance of an event by the number of people there. And never judge the fruit of a ministry or a ministry of the word by what we visibly see is the response, because I will tell you that this third group and the smallest, the greatest amount of fruit will come. Apostles will, will be you know, saved, and an amazing work will be done here. Two of John's disciples, who've already been following John, Andrew, verse 40, and John, the human author of this book, who does not mention his name, Jesus was walking nearby them, and we see what a great man John was. 
probably one of the greatest men in all the scriptures. We see his great humility here. Hundreds and thousands are following and attending his ministry. And in this intimate setting, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and from a distance and he proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God. He says what he says privately. He's already said publicly. It's interesting when a person's private conversation matches, especially a minister of the gospel, what his public proclamation is. And he says the same thing privately to these in conversation. Spurgeon said we should be so filled with the word and so full of the Holy Spirit that our speech would be biblene. Well, that does not mean that we should go around quoting verses all the time, but it was a normal, natural thing for John to talk about the reason he was sent. He has one, one message and one reason that he's the forerunner of Christ is to prepare the way of the Lord. We have given in verse 37 the amazing response to John's declaration. And we read there, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Do you see the power of God's word? He quotes, behold the Lamb of God. We're not sure what else he said, but that's what the Holy Spirit records for us. And so powerful were those drawing words. These two disciples of John left him and began to follow Jesus Christ. Oh, the power of God's word. It is alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing asunder the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. John says, there he is. There's the Son of God. There's the Messiah. And immediately, these two leave him and follow Jesus Christ. Never underestimate the power of your words or the influence of your conversation. I would tell you this morning that we as believers sin more in this area probably than any other area of life. We're so glib with our words. So quick to give a critique. So quick to give an estimation of a circumstance. So unguarded with what we say, with what we think. I read one day when a man said it was a happy day when I realized I didn't have to say all that I thought. A lot could be improved by following that admonition. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, appropriately at the right time. The right word at the right time to the right people. That's what we should pray for daily in our lives and our witness, how good it is. I would ask us this morning, do our words in private, does our conversation lead others to Christ, or do our words drive them from Him? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the proverb says. What a statement. Death and life are in the power of our speech. And remember that our Lord said that every idle word would be answered to in the day of judgment. That verse alone ought to cause us to, to tremble this morning a giving and an account of all that we say. John wisely spoke the truth. Behold the Lamb of God. And these 
two disciples, two choice disciples, I might add, leave his ministry to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be noted how willing and gracious John is here. He makes no offer or makes no effort to keep them from following the Lord. He didn't try to amass a following from himself. Again, quoting Spurgeon, someone asked about the large numbers who came to hear him preach. How did he build such a church? And he said, I never uh, set out to build a church. I have found that the gospel will draw its own audience. But John is not trying to keep his disciples to himself as the human tendency would be. He freely lets them go. And we would do well as parents and as, as parents in the Lord, as teachers and pastors, to realize that God has a will for people's lives. He was no coercion here. Although I'm sure he loved these men, he pointed them to Jesus Christ. And we would do well to spend our days pointing and pushing others to Jesus Christ and to his will for their lives. We see here the crux of John's message. Christ is the Messiah. He is the sacrifice for sin, and He is to be followed. If He's the Messiah, He is to be bowed to. If He's the Messiah, He is to be followed. There's no neutrality when it comes to who Jesus Christ is or what our response should be when we see and hear His claims. The first recorded words of Jesus in John's Gospel are found in verse 38. We always make notice of the first event of something. It is very interesting, the first words of Jesus in John's gospel is, Come and see. Come and see. The commentator R.C.H. Linsky writes, This first word spoken by Jesus Christ in John's gospel is a master question. It bids them look searchingly at their inmost longings and desires. A hidden promise lies in the question is mentioned there in verse 38. What seek you? The first words, the second words are come and see. What are you seeking? Jesus has the highest treasure any man can seek. He longs to direct our seeking toward that treasure in order that he may bestow it for one, for our one everlasting enrichment. I would tell you this is the most important question in, question in life. What seek ye? And I would ask it to us this morning. What are you seeking? Many people never really know the answer. And possibly some this morning might not really know how to answer that question. Or they simply may answer it wrongly. Here, Jesus is forcing them to think. What was their purpose? Why were they here? And what was God's purpose? Were they looking for a way out of their current business or lifestyle? Were they just bored and tired of fishing and wanting to do something else? Some tried to get into ministry or follow Jesus Christ as if it was some diversion, some new thing they could do. What do you want? What are you seeking? Were they desiring to be part of some revolutionary sweeping movement that would overthrow the Roman government? Were they bored with their present circumstances? Jesus pointedly asked them the question that we're asking this morning. What are you looking for? Why did you come? Why are you here? Andrew and John's lives were about to be radically transformed. 
And they really had no idea to what extent or to where it would lead or what the end result would be. Jesus' question here reminds us of the biblical promise, Seek and ye shall find. And I would encourage every seeking heart this morning to seek and ask and knock until you receive. Seek and ye shall find. What a promise from the Lord. Of all the promises that we would line up today, Seek and ye shall find. What an answer. What an encouragement to follow after the Lord. This is a promise directly from Christ. It is found throughout the Bible. It's a gracious invitation from the Lord. Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. There we see it qualified. There is a time to seek the Lord. And again the New Testament would tell us now is the time. Today is the day. There's always an urgency in this promise. Is there all the promises of God? Yes, seek ye the Lord. He may be found, but while he may be found, which is a qualification, there will come a time in your life and in God's economy where it will not be possible to seek him. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. As we remind you when Jesus said, where my people are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. While the word of God is being preached, there the Lord is pleading by His Spirit. You should seek the Lord while He is near, while He may be found. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and He will have mercy upon him. To our God, for He will abundantly pardon. What promises these are for us this morning. Deuteronomy 4 verse 29, But if from hence you shall seek the Lord thy God, you will find Him. What a promise that all who truly seek the Lord will find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart, with all your soul. To someone this morning who may say, Well, Pastor, I have questions. I am not yet convinced. I would tell you, seek the Lord. Seek Him with all your heart, with all your soul. And the promise of God's own word is, You will find Him. Psalm, 90 verse, Psalm 9, verse 10, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Oh, you put these promises together. We could go on and on. Those are just a few of God's promise to be found by those who seek him. The one seeking does not realize that it is the shepherd that initiates this seeking and finding. He puts it, within the seeker to pursue. And all the while, he is drawing them to himself and he is seeking them out with love and mercy and tenderness. Horatio Bonar wrote, I was a wandering sheep. I did not love the fold. I did not love my Savior's voice. I would not be controlled. I was a wayward child. I did not love my home. I did not love my Father's voice. I loved afar to roam. The shepherd sought his sheep. The father sought his child. They followed me over vale and hill, o'er deserts waste and wild. They found me nigh to death, famished and faint and lone. They bound me with the bands of love. They saved the wandering one. They spoke in tender love. They raised my drooping head. They gently closed my bleeding wounds. My fainting soul they fed. They washed my filth away. They made me clean and fair. They brought me to my home in peace, the long-sought wanderer. 
Jesus my shepherd is. Twas he that loved my soul. Twas he that washed me in his blood. Twas he that made me whole. Twas he that sought the lost and found the wandering sheep. Twas he that brought me to the fold. Tis he that still doth keep. No more a wandering sheep. I love to be controlled. I love my tender shepherd's voice. I love the peaceful fold. No more a wayward child. I seek no more to roam. I love my heavenly father's voice. I love, I love his home. I want us to notice here that though Andrew and John respond to Jesus' question with a question of their own, in verse 38, they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He asked them, what are you seeking? And they asked him, where do you live? Where are you staying? They, they wanted to know more. And what they wanted to know could not be answered standing at this, by the wayside in a casual conversation. They needed to be with Jesus. There were deep questions of the heart and soul, the wonders of the Lord and His Word, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament that they yearned to, to know about. And they said, where are you staying? In other words, can we come and stay with you? It was the custom in those days of rabbis, if someone were going to study, they didn't just attend classes like we would or do. They would actually go and live with the teacher. Day after day, they would be in his presence, eating and talking and sleeping in a very intimate way, as our Lord's disciples do, as we see unfolded before us. Many folks follow the Lord for a while, as the crowds will begin to do as Christ's ministry unfolds, many follow him until there comes some offense, some stumbling block that arises because of their own sinfulness or because Satan uses someone or something to get them off base and off track. But I want you to know this morning that Christ deserves and demands true followers, wholehearted followers, those that are willing to go where he's going, go with him, with him, all the way as we sing. Every heart has an object. Every heart under the sound of my voice this morning has an object. If your heart is not set upon Christ himself, it is not upon something which is, if it, it is not set upon something which is not Christ, what are you seeking? Is it money? Is it status? Is it comfort? Is it pleasure? Is it awayness, away from the problem? Is it something else than what you've got now? What is your heart set on? What is your plan? What is your goal? Can you say with the psalmist, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after thee? What a question they ask Christ. Master, where are you staying? I believe this shows a longing heart, a, a great desire to follow him and to learn more. And our Lord tells them there in verse 39, come and see. This is the word of invitation. The Lord is offering it wherever his gospel is preached. Come and see 
This is always our Lord's response to such, such questions. Come, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He knew their hearts. He understands what our questions mean, even when our, our words don't adequately say it. There was much more in what they were asking him than what they were saying. Just as so often when we come before the Lord, we don't even know how to put it in words, what our need is and what the situation is. You can always rest assured that the Lord understands even the groanings and the sighs that cannot be uttered. And your admission, Lord, I don't even know how to pray. But these words this morning that they were saying to the Lord, where are you staying, was a whole world of desire behind it. He saw that they wanted his fellowship, his presence in his person. Like the thief on the cross who cried, remember me. He knew the thief's heart. He knew he was repenting in his heart. He can see the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And our Lord's response to him, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, may sound incongruous to us than what he was asking. But you see, the Lord knows more than what our words can say. Do you have questions this morning? Come to Jesus. Do you have problems? Come to Jesus. To all who labor and who are loaded down with with burdens, he says, come. Come to me. Go directly to Jesus Christ. Notice he says not only come in verse 39, but he says, come and see. They came and they saw where he dwelt. The Lord's invitation is never misleading. When he says come and see, he means what he says. When he invites you to come unto him that he will not cast you out, he means that. When he says if you take my yoke upon you and you'll find rest, he means that. Come to me. They saw and they came to where he dwelt. They abode with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour, the scripture says. The word abide here denotes in the scripture fellowship, mutual understanding, blessing. Where he went that evening, they went too. The Lord took them with him. This is true for all those who follow Jesus Christ and take him at his word to come and see. In John fourteen two, he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that Where I am, there you may be also. And here he literally tells the disciples they can come with him that night. But to all those who follow Jesus Christ, to all those who put their trust in him, he will take us eternally to be with him. Where I am, there you may be also. What is heaven like? I don't know. But it's where Jesus is. And wherever Jesus is is where I want to be. I really could care less what the streets are paid with. Are the sights and the wonders that are too, too glorious for us to imagine? The scripture uses all kinds of language to describe it. But I'll tell you the most important thing is wherever Jesus is. That's where I want to be. That place of perfect fellowship. And all this life we've been cut off by this veil of flesh and our circumstances. But to behold him with our eyes. Oh, to be like Thomas and to reach and touch him. One day we'll be in his presence. That where I am, there you may be also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We see there in verse 40, the Bible tells us, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, 
Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. What a sign of someone who truly receives Christ as Savior. I believe with everyone who's truly regenerate, there is this inborn desire to tell others, to unite with others, and to have them to know the Lord themselves. A sign of true conversion is the desire to tell others about the Lord. And sincere efforts will be made. And some of, may I say some of the best efforts of soul winning are from the newly converted. Those who have found him immediately want to go and tell, and they invite other people to church. It takes years in backslidden condition for people to stop inviting other people to church. But in those initial days, believers want to tell others. They've got brothers and sisters and children and cousins and neighbors, and they want them to hear the gospel. There's a desire for them to know. Oh, pray that we never lose that zeal to to get other people and do what we can. You see, this is not complicated. He didn't go to some complicated course, although I'm sure all those things are, are, are good and have their place. He just simply went to his brother and said, come and see the, the Savior. We have found the Messiah. Your testimony is the most powerful thing that you can tell because it's what you know. It's what has happened to you. Oh, people can't argue. They can argue all kinds of things, but they can't argue with your testimony and what has transpired in your heart and mind. Andrew now desires his brother to be saved. We have no record that Andrew ever preached a sermon. I don't know, he may have, but the Bible is silent about it. But I'll tell you this, he did what he could do. Our Lord says that about the woman whom, when she came and poured her alabaster box and they complained about it. What did he say about her? Leave her alone. She has done what she could. And Andrew may not have known much, I don't know how eloquent he was. None of that is relevant. But what he did do was what he could do. And he went and told his brother and he brought him, did all, he used all of his influence to bring him to the Lord. He did all that he could to bring his brother to the Lord. Oh, the power of your influence and how easily it can be marred. It's something we have to be careful of all the day, every day in our lives. Let me just say this, all of us can do this, and all of us should do it. There's no one exempt. This is something we can, we can do in various ways, and we, we praise the Lord for the buses that have run, and those who have gone out actively and brought people in, and literally this morning, but, but that you don't have to be on the bus route, or go out on Tuesday night, or all those other wonderful things. You can use your influence where you are, and invite people to, to come see the Lord, and come Know the Lord. Never lose your burden for lost ones, especially your family members. Never underestimate the power of your words. Some of your relatives have never come to church simply because you've never asked them to. You've never gone out of your way to say, I'll come get you. Let me, let me come by and, and get you and bring you to church. Your encouragements for them to come to Christ. Do what you can to, to bring others to Jesus. He first findeth his own brother, Simon. This is the privilege, not only the duty, but the privilege of every believer. 
You don't have to have Bible college training to do that. The only prerequisite of telling someone else about Jesus Christ, about the Savior, is to have first come to Him yourself. Every believer can be a witness and should be a witness and should use their influence and their efforts to to bring others to Jesus Christ. When I was saved as a 15-year-old boy, an evangelist came to the Christian school where my parents placed me. I'm not sure all their motivations for placing me there. I know that I was probably a a problem 13-year-old kid, and they thought that that would help me out. And so that's where they placed me. I'm not sure what all the discussion was for Mother and Daddy to place me there, but by the time I was in my ninth grade, my father had died. Our home was in grief, and I had all kinds of questions. And that evangelist came to the chapel that day and preached the gospel, and my heart was open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I I repented and, and surrendered to him. And I remember the first thing I did, I came home that afternoon, and I called my best friend. We had gone from the nursery uh, up to that point, and he went to another school, and I called him on the phone and, and told him what took place. And then the second person I told was my younger sister. Now, Lynn and I were the two youngest in the whole family of, of brothers and sisters, and we were uh, sometimes partners in crime and sometimes against each other and you know fighting and all the rest, but we were close. And I remember going to my sister in, in my feeble way, trying to explain the gospel to her. I, I had a tract. I'd found some tract, and I began to go through it with her. And uh, she stopped me about halfway through. I've shared with this you before, but I always think about my first attempt to witness to someone. And, and uh, Lynn just quite honestly looked at me. And, well, when you get your life straightened out, then you can come talk to me because you, you're not obedient to mother and you give her a hard time. She went down the list of things that didn't look like Christ in my life. Isn't it always interesting how those know those things and see those glaring things? All I could see was the grace of God that had washed my sins away. All she could see is the things I had done and the, the, the attitude that I had had. And she said, when you, when you straighten yourself out, then you can come talk to me, maybe, you know, like that. I began to pray. I had a, a great burden for her. and The Lord was so gracious that I, I asked the Lord to straighten me out. You know, my mouth, my words, what I've been talking about today. And uh, I was always quick to say what I thought and correct everybody and even be disrespectful to my mother. And that, that very thing was a, a, a stumbling block standing in the way of my sister because it was unchristlike. And I never forget the day she came to me just in tears and she said, would you lead me to the Lord? When Andrew went to find his brother, he little imagined how imminent Peter would become. We doubt that Andrew ever preached a message, ever did much. We just hear about him a few times in the scripture, but You know Simon Peter, don't you? Peter, boisterous, loudmouth Peter, whom the Lord would save and humble and deal with until he could use him. Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and preaches and thousands are saved. Thousands come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and are saved. 
But I tell you, Peter, standing on the day of Pentecost, there's an Andrew in the background who brought him to the Lord Jesus. He went and found his brother and said, We have found the Savior. We have found the Messiah. Oh, what a, what a blessing that is. Spurgeon writes, you may, be, you may but speak a word to a child, and in that child there may be a slumbering, a noble heart which shall stir the church in years to come. Andrew may have a few talents, but he finds Peter. Go and do likewise. One day, a boy's Sunday school class, he was a teacher of junior boys, he began to be burdened that he had not personally interviewed the 10 or 12 boys in his class about whether they were saved or not, and he set about to go to each one of them and personally talk to them about their eternal condition and their relationship with the Lord. Edward Kimbrell went to the shoe store where young D.L. Moody was stocking shoes in the stock room, and he said, can I talk to you? And he simply presented him the gospel, and D.L. Moody surrendered his heart to the Lord. He also surrendered to the Lord's leading and went to England at a man's uh, invitation. When he got there, the man who invited him was not at hand, and, and D.L. Moody had come to England without really help, and the Lord opened the doors to him to preach, and he awakened the heart of a young pastor by the name of F.B. Meyer, who sat under, Spurgeon, under Moody's preaching, and his heart was just set afire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. F.B. Meyer went to become one of the, the great Bible expositors, and he in turn came to the United States and preached on college campuses and was used of the Lord to convert uh, a student to Christ by the name of Wilbur Chapman. And Wilbur Chapman attended one of D.L. Moody's meetings in Chicago and became a co-worker of Moody's. Wilbur Chapman employed an ex-baseball player as his assistant whose name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday became an evangelist and preached in Charlotte, North Carolina, organized by the Billy Sunday Layman's Evangelistic Club, which later became known as the Christian Businessman's Committee. And the Christian Businessman's Committee invited an evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham to come and hold a tent meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina, where a young teenage boy named Billy Graham came to hear the gospel and was saved. Where did it all begin? A Sunday school teacher of junior boys went to all of his boys in his class to ask them about their relationship with the Lord and praise the Lord. Uh, we don't know who else was saved, but we do know that D.L. Moody was saved, don't we? Now, we don't always see the chain of events that take place, but I will tell you this. You never know who you're witnessing to and what the result will be and where it will wind up. The Lord will not show us the full extent of our ministry until we stand before him one day, but can you imagine the amazement and the awe that will be at the judgment seat of Christ as all of this is unfolded? And I'll tell you, those who have the highest places of honor will probably be Sunday school teachers and bus workers and brothers and sisters who brought their brother and sister to the Lord Jesus Christ, invite him to an evangelistic meeting. Would you go to church with me? Would you, just, would you come to this Bible study? Would you come to this group meeting? The simplest acts of obedience often lead to miraculous results of God's blessing. 
Come and see. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. What do you seek? Come and see. Follow me. It's not very complicated, is it? The gospel is always simple, and the response to the gospel is a simple one. I tell you this morning to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. Those who are seeking, I would tell you to seek him till you found him. If the Lord has opened your heart, you call out to the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save you. Come and see. And then follow me. Our Lord deserves to be followed, doesn't he? If he is Lord, he deserves our all. He tells us, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me daily. Following the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would all go and do likewise. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. And every time your word is preached and unfolded, there are all kinds of people, no matter how large or small the group is. And I pray, Lord, by your grace, that you would save those who are lost. That wandering sheep who will not be controlled, Oh, Spirit of God, would you arrest them just now and bring them to the fold of the Father. Oh, how, how safe is the fold. The storms are raging outside. The dangers, the snares, the, the pitfalls, the ravening wolves who are ready to destroy. But Lord, you so graciously come and pick, pick up the little lambs and the stubborn sheep and bring them to yourself. Oh Lord, I pray that those whose hearts are awakened, may they come before you just now. May they call upon you to save them. Oh, simple faith in taking you at your word. Would you do your work in our midst? To those who are seeking, I pray that they would find you. To those who have found you, I pray that they would determine to follow you. Those who are following you, I, I pray that we would all be awakened to our, the simplicity of living the Christian life, of being careful with our words and bringing others and trying to bring others to you. May we use our testimonies and tell it to others. May we never forget what took place, whether it was at our mother's knee or from the, the deep, dark pit of hell, of, of addiction, or wherever it would be. It's still a miracle of how you saved us and brought us to yourself. May we never feel intimidated about our testimony because it is our story of how we came to you. May we use it, bringing all glory to Jesus Christ. And may we practically do what we can to bring others to be under the sound of your voice and the influence of the gospel. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Would you bless your word? In his name we ask it, amen.